content warning. This episode revolves around the topic of sexual violence. Please make sure you're looking out for your mental health. And if you or someone you know has experienced sexual violence, please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. Or visit one of the resources listed in the description of this episode. Stay well, friends. Welcome back to Decoding Dating, the show where we expose the stranglehold dating apps have on our love lives. In this episode, we'll be talking with Zach about the connection between digital dating and sexual violence. So sexual violence is obviously a big issue that society is just beginning to really spotlight and grapple with. But is there something special about dating apps that we need to address when it comes to this issue? Well, from my research, the data isn't looking so great. Clearly, we aren't the only ones worried about this problem right now because the first large-scale study on the relationship between dating apps and sexual violence was published just last month. In the study, they reviewed the charts from over 3,000 sexual assault medical forensic examinations from between 2017 and 2020. And they found that 274, roughly 8%, of those assaults occurred during an initial meetup facilitated by dating apps. And of assaults committed by acquaintances, dating app-facilitated cases made up 14%. Wow. So this is clearly becoming a sizable problem. Was there anything special about these cases? Yes, they were far more violent. Compared to the other assault cases, there was a 32% increase in reported strangulation, and victim injuries were much more common. Based on this data, the research team suggests that dating apps are likely used by predators as hunting grounds for vulnerable victims. Oh my gosh, that's so scary. Do we know anything about the people being targeted? Unfortunately, it's an all-too-familiar cast women and sexual minorities. In a separate study published last month, these two groups reported experiencing more frequent instances of dating app-facilitated sexual violence than their male and heterosexual counterparts. Jeez, we can never catch a break, can we? Right? But the story gets worse and more complex. While women and sexual minorities report more frequent instances of sexual violence facilitated by dating apps, In the large-scale study I mentioned, the data suggests that it is men and people with mental illnesses that are disproportionately targeted on dating apps compared to other means, such as in-person. So what I'm hearing is that there is something special about dating apps that leads to more violent sexual assaults and puts men and people with mental illnesses at extra risk. Did you find anything in your research about why that might be? Well, it actually seems that there are several layers of issues here. But let's start broadly with the very concept of online dating itself. As was mentioned in our first episode, in 1995, 98% of heterosexual couples met their partner through mutual connections or in a public setting, such as a bar, college, or at work. Flash forward to 2017, and only 61% met offline. That is to say, most heterosexual couples used to meet in person, and those meetings were either facilitated by existing connections or at least occurred in a space where friends were likely nearby. Dating apps largely remove those two elements. But obviously, sexual assaults still occur in those offline meetups, too. Of course. Unfortunately, sexual assault is a risk in most dating scenarios. But when we think about the particularly violent nature of dating app-facilitated sexual assaults, and the people slash traits being targeted the most, 
The offline nature of dating apps plays a critical role in aiding predators and in impairing potential victims. Interesting. Could you explain a little more about how it aids predators? Well, imagine a predator is looking for a victim in a bar. They have a few constraints that might make them less successful in being a piece of shit. The first is that they are limited to the attendees that can fit in a bar. Physical spaces have capacity limits. That constrains the pool of potential victims. The second constraint is that they do not have names, interests, or other data on the potential victims, aside from what they can see and potentially hear. This limits the ways a perpetrator can assess a potential victim's vulnerabilities or effectively employ certain manipulation tactics, such as love bombing. The final constraint is the fact that they are visible to other patrons of the establishment who could intervene. This includes any friends a person attended with and staff who are likely trained to look out for sexually aggressive behaviors. But dating apps, simply by being digital, expand the pool of potential victims, provide more information to assess vulnerabilities, and lack third-party observers who can intervene. I never really thought about that, but digital dating really does give a lot of power to predators. That said, I know the algorithms can do a lot to limit the pool of people available to any given person. Do you think that can at least help act as some sort of capacity? Well, without having full access to the data under the hood of these algorithms, I can only speculate. But from my understanding, the algorithms show you people based on your swiping history and who people with similar taste are swiping on. Given that these predators are often looking for explicit or implicit signs of mental health issues in the profiles of potential victims, it's not hard to imagine that the algorithm may actually assist in narrowing down the pool to people who are more vulnerable, especially if other predators are recognizing similar indicators and swiping on the same people. Well, since most of these algorithms are black boxes, like even the developers don't know which inputs the algorithm is prioritizing, that is a very real possibility. That's so scary. Well, and for gay men on apps like Grindr, the pool is limited only by who's on the app. The number of profiles you can see is technically limited to the first 300 profiles or so, sorted by distance, but... Users can pay for premium to increase that range and use filters strategically to view profiles that would otherwise not make it into the first 300. Not to mention, premium users can artificially place their location anywhere they want. In other words, for Grindr users, the pool is more or less limitless to predators. This might be part of the explanation for why we see higher rates of men being targeted through apps compared to offline. But predators wouldn't benefit from an algorithm helping finding, find victims at least, right? True, but then again, most queer folks on Grindr, especially any profile that is DL, are somewhat vulnerable to blackmail and coercion. In fact, I can personally attest to this one. Back in my first years of college when I was in the closet, I got on Grindr to test the waters, and there were a few different instances where, after sending some no-no photos with my face in them, which I do not recommend to any of our listeners... People have tried to threaten me to release my photos if I didn't meet up with them. Jesus, that's so scary. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Thank you for your concern, seriously. But everyone can rest easy knowing that I did not give in to the demands, and as far as I know, nothing was ever released. But it was terrifying. I had anxiety for weeks from those instances, and it makes me think about the other people they targeted and whether these predators were successful. Being in the closet is a constant anxiety, and predators have known and used that to target people for decades. 
Apps just make it easier. God, I hope they are okay too. No one should have information about their sexuality held hostage like that. So I think it's clear how online dating aids predators, but you said it impairs potential victims too. Can you talk a little bit about that? Of course. So now let's imagine you're a potential target for sexual violence at a club. If a predator comes up and approaches you, you have a few things to aid in recognizing and diffusing the situation. First, you have highly attuned senses for reading body language and tone that are ultimately lost in text-based conversations online. Our bodies and brains have developed over millennia to subconsciously pick up on small visual cues that indicate a threat. Of course, predators can still be good liars and alcohol can impair these skills. But overall, your chances of identifying threatening cues are far greater when you're using all your senses rather than interpreting over text. The second benefit of being in person is the higher likelihood that you are with friends who can help to pick up on cues you might otherwise miss. Even just mentioning that you're there with friends, regardless of whether or not you actually are, may help to stave off more violent and aggressive tactics employed by predators. But on dating apps, I know a lot of people show their friends and get their assessments too. So is there really a difference? Oh, I do that too. But that goes back to my first point. Neither you nor your friends in virtual dating have access to body language or tonal cues to help assess a person's intentions or honesty. And on a first meetup, most people typically do not have friends nearby. You may text a friend to let them know about the time and location of a meetup, but you lack the immediacy of intervention that is enabled by having friends nearby at those first introductions at a bar or something. So basically, online dating creates the perfect conditions for predators to assess and isolate victims. But if we're being honest here, I don't see online dating going away anytime soon. It's convenient and basically the main way young people are expected to date these days. Oh, 100%. It's pretty well ingrained in our dating lives now, but there are still other in-person options. Remember, even though only 61% of people met their partner offline in 2017, that's still more than half. These other locations are still options for a lot of people. However, I will say that for my queer community, safety risks of homophobia and transphobia can make offline dating a little more fraught. So, unless the world gets real cool real fast, online dating is still the primary option for a lot of people. So, if online dating is here to stay, are there certain features that make some apps more dangerous than others? Well, the answer is probably. Unfortunately, there's a severe lack of data and research on this particular question. But in lieu of that data, we can tackle this question by understanding dating apps as a socio-technical system that can promote or deter adherence to certain sexual scripts. Hold on. Okay. I think you just lost some listeners there. Can you break down what you just said? <laughs> of course. So basically, our relationships with dating apps are a two-way street. We bring all of our biases and existing understandings of the courtship process to our use of dating apps. And in return, the apps, through their design and functionality, encourage us to act within certain bounds. So how these apps are designed can encourage or deter adoption of negative sex scripts. And sex scripts, like role play, please explain. <laughs> Honestly, not too far off. Broadly, sex scripts are the way we each understand sex and our role in it based on the information and stigmas we learn from the people around us during childhood. 
These can take an infinite number of nuanced forms, but there is one pervasive sex script that has been consistently linked to sexual violence. And it goes like this. Men are always horny and should make the first move. Meanwhile, women are both sexual objects for men, while simultaneously being responsible for gatekeeping against men's sexual advances. So, basically, rape culture. Exactly. Okay, so I have to know, I'm sure most of our listeners are curious as well, how is rape culture built into dating apps? So, this is where the socio-technical systems part plays in. It's not necessarily built into the apps as much as there are certain features that encourage people to lean on this script. One of the main culprits here is when apps are photo-forward. Basically, Tinder and Grindr, right? Well, and surprisingly, Bumble falls into this trap as well to some degree. When the initial profile view during the swiping process is almost entirely dominated by a photo rather than sharing real estate with some text, it prompts users to consider superficial aesthetics as the most important criterion in the pre-interaction processes of partner selection. This does a few things. First, it prompts us to engage in intensive impression management strategies when selecting photos for our profiles. In other words, we try to strike a balance between presenting our authentic selves and presenting an image with mass appeal. Because, let's be real, at the end of the day, we all just want to be liked, even by people we don't like. Of course, belonging and love is literally the second tier in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And isn't esteem the third one? Yep, aka it's totally human and rational. But when those needs rest almost entirely on a photo, we get self-conscious. What if presenting your authentic self leads to no matches? How do you handle that cognitive dissonance? So often we suppress our individuality and opt instead to lean into the most dominant tropes about what is or is not attractive. In other words, we lean into that gendered sex script that tells women to emphasize their attractiveness as a sexual partner and men to emphasize their strength and ability to act as a provider. And before you go thinking I'm making gendered assumptions, the research backs this up. Women are far more likely to have dating profile photos of them in a swimsuit, underwear, or lingerie than men. Meanwhile, men are far less likely to have a detectable smile and are far more likely to post photos of their cars, sometimes without them even in the photo, hunting gear, and that all-too-famous holding a dead fish in a pic. <laughs> I honestly just thought that was because men are bad at choosing photos. But if it's just influencing the photos we select, is that really contributing to sexual violence? Well, unfortunately, that process of impression management does not end when we hit submit on our profiles. A qualitative study of Tinder users in the Netherlands found that users actively and passively take cues from the profiles they're swiping on as ways to assess how their profile may present. In other words, every time we open and engage with these photo forward apps, we're receiving subtle cues that encourage us to adhere to those scripts. And this has huge implications, not just in the way we present ourselves, but it sets the tone for how we select partners on the apps and the ways we interact with potential partners when we do match. If you presented a certain way on your profile, say as a masculine man's man, and someone matches with you, that self-presentation gets associated with those needs for love, belonging, and esteem being filled. It creates a feedback loop that, over time, takes people down a path toward toxic extremes of that sex script. Wow, 
I knew different apps had different vibes, but I never really considered why that is. Honestly, me neither, until I started conducting this research. We typically just attribute this to the user base of certain apps, which I guess in some ways is true, but these vibes actually say less about the users of an app and more about the design of the apps themselves. I mean, anyone who has been on Grindr can tell you there is a massive difference between the shit people feel comfortable saying and sending on the app versus how they actually are in person. Like, I've never been to a bar and had a man whip out his dick, followed by a casual, hey, what you up to? But on Grindr, where the sex script says, there are no sexual gatekeepers here, I get messages like this literally every time I open the app. Oh my gosh, while we're all giggling here, that is surely a lot. (laughs) You're telling me. And when those people can see exactly how many feet I am from them, it's also very scary. Now. I have opted out of the show my distance feature, but the grid is literally sorted from closest to furthest away. Even without my distance showing, if the two people before and after me have that feature on, they basically do know my distance. It's low-key sketchy out here, y'all. No joke. Well, I'm sure we could continue down this rabbit hole for hours, but unfortunately, we are running up on time here. This has been an intriguing but super intense topic. So, do you have any words of hope or advice for our listeners? Actually, yes. First, I do want to acknowledge that some of the companies behind these dating apps are actively thinking about this issue of sexual violence, and they're implementing programs to mediate these effects. Match Group has an advisory council on this issue led by a variety of big names in sexual violence advocacy, including Danny Ayers, the CEO of the hashtag MeToo movement. They're responsible for a variety of features being rolled out across all their dating platforms, including an integration called Noonlight. It'll allow users to enter data about upcoming dates, including where they are going, when, etc. It also comes with a button you can discreetly press to alert emergency services without the need to talk or text. Now, of course, this still raises other concerns around data privacy and the surveillance state, but I believe Sara will be touching on these topics more in our next episode, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Beautiful. So I'll leave the privacy convo to you, but some parting words. While I do recommend avoiding dating apps, if at all possible, for those of us who can't give them up, I want to leave you with a few words of advice. One. Use apps that emphasize personality over aesthetics, like Hinge or Field. You are more than your photos, so choose an app that recognizes that. Two, be yourself. It is not a game of quantity. It's about the quality. And quality comes from presenting your honest self, flaws and all. Authenticity is the best defense against the trap of sex scripts. And three, stay safe. Your judgment is impaired by a lack of sensory feedback, and predators are unfortunately taking advantage of that. You don't need to swipe in constant fear, as most people are good, but have a healthy skepticism about the people you're matching with. Make a basic safety plan for first dates so you know what to do if, God forbid, things do go south. And for more information on privacy and protecting yourself, check out our next episode where our our resident tech guru will explore how these apps are protecting or not protecting your data. See you next time on Decoding Dating.